This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Known and Ever podcast. I'm James. I'll be hosting this week and we're going to go over the Southampton game. Um, I've got two different faces joining me this week. I've got Adam, um, who everyone should know, though he is a very rare uh, appearer on the podcast. And we've got Daniel Bentley, who uh, some people may remember as one of the guys who set up Known and Ever originally when it was a blog. Uh, so welcome, Dan. Um, Natalie's away again this week. Uh, she's off enjoying herself in Florida. Um, I have to apologise that there was no podcast last week. Um, unfortunately, Bromers was in America then and I was away with work and was unable to take a computer with me. So it was a little bit difficult to get a podcast out. Um, so moving on to the game. Uh, another away win for Burnley. Something that we're getting pretty used to saying so far this season. Um, I'm just going to get a quick summary from uh, both of the guys with me uh, of what they thought of the game. So Daniel, how about you first? Uh, not much to really report on in that game. It was very. Uh, it was a very. Uh, as an appearance, very typical of what Dyche has been doing this season, which is just setting the team up to get behind the ball, defend with ten men, and then wear the opponent down, and then just look for your opportunities to get a goal. And we got a, a fantastic goal. I didn't really. No, I don't think anyone saw it coming. Uh, just. Uh, a moment of, of brilliance from uh, from Goodmanson and, and Vokes uh, to, to win the game. Really, it was just very workmanlike. wasn't an entertaining game by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's results that matter. Did results that matter. I think we've been saying that quite a lot on the podcast recently. Adam, you were um, there, so first-hand, what was your impression? I mean, yeah, that's a fair assessment from Daniel there. Um, I I thought it was pretty typical Daesh fair for the for the majority of the game, and then he, as as Daniel said, we wore them down, and then he brought Barnes and Vokes on, and uh, it did it changed the sort of the feel of the game. It, it really um, sort of if if nothing else, it showed the intent that was there, um, and from that moment on, um, I thought we were pretty pretty good going forward. We we was 
as as is typical really um we we just sat behind the ball and, until uh Vokes and Barnes came on and then and then it was yeah just an incredible goal really it was a a, a beautiful header to to witness in person um and 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 yeah it was a a, a pretty satisfying win I think um just very normal for a Burnley fan to to sort of anticipate that um I think I was talking to uh to a to a colleague about it at work and it was like do you smash and grab and I'm like well no that's just how we play now we we just defend the art is in the defending and then uh and then we we wear them down and then boom we get the goal bosh one in as daniel once said on this this podcast many moons ago yeah although i think that goal was a bit more uh, subtle than a bosh i think it would had a it, had, yeah, it was it was, I a, agree. it was a very elegant goal um whereas <laughs> i would say a bosh was a bit had a would have a bit more emphasis on it. Um, but it was a fantastic goal. Um, I think everyone is, you know, saying that it's one of the best headers they've seen. I wouldn't go that far, but the just the elegance with which Vokes redirects it past Forster, and he, he makes him look silly. And I saw a lot of criticism of Forster's performance and saying that he, he kind of messed up on the goal. And I think it just completely wrong foots him because the, the the direction of change he gets on it. Uh, just fantastic and really pleased for, for Vokes as well because uh, since Woods come in he's Woods obviously had a, a bit more of a, a run in the side and has had more of the goals um, but uh, for him to, to get in front of his uh, his family in his hometown uh, chuffed at the lad I think some good points there and we'll delve into the game a little bit further now and I think as you both said there from looking at the stats line it it's very much a classic Dash Burnley win. We only had 37% of the possession, one shot on target, and obviously that was enough in the end because you only need one if you take advantage of it. What, what is it that you think makes us so good at playing with so little of the ball and you know being quite uh, limited in chances, but taking what we can really, Adam? I think it all it all comes down to how well drilled we are in defence. You you look at the the side, you see our central defence particularly, and it just looks un, unmovable. And that means that you don't have to have possession of the ball. You can deal with what is thrown at you. I mean, it, it uh, when we first started doing it, I thought I, I was sort of living on my nerves a little bit. It was I'm, I'm talking games and games ago when it was at first implemented as a tactic under Deitch. Um but now I'm I'm sort of got that I've got that real confidence that we're not going to concede. And even after uh, we scored yesterday and we were one nil up, and perhaps a couple of seasons ago I wouldn't have expected to to just keep that lead. But I was I was never it was never in my mind that we would we we would uh, concede a goal. Um, even when they were attacking, and I remember there was a, a bit of a slip and a bit of a defensive sort of. Um, I don't know, misunderstanding. Uh, it was right down the other end of the pitch, so I didn't see it um, very clearly. Um, but even then, I was like, right, someone else is going to get in, in, in to uh, recover. Um, and it, there were many lines of defence as well. I think there was a, there was a slow motion clip um, on Match of the Day, I think, uh, where you saw three people dive at, at once. The two outfield players stuck their legs out I can't remember who it was um, and then Nick Pope and it was like they're all parallel and that was a real good um, it was a really good signifier of, of how we defend we, if if someone can't get there or if someone mistimes their, their block there's someone else there and, and even if they missed, mistime their block there's someone else there yet again and it was just I think that really allows us to sit back um, let draw the teams onto us and then we can we can defend that and then go and attack when we need to 
I mean, that's a fair point. Uh, Dan, yourself, what do you uh, think of the that sort of fashion of play? Yeah, I, I, I just want Burnley fans to really enjoy this moment because I listen to 606 every week and there are... There are fans of other teams, uh, you know, like West Brom fans and stuff, and they just complain about the the style of play um, that their team puts out. And I think that we have to just relish that we're not putting in these, like, tiki-taka amazing performances every week, although we're capable of it. But it's, there's just a real professional professionalism to how Daesh has a set up. Uh, every player knows exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They trust each other implicitly. There's just so, so that's that's where the real confidence in the team's coming from. Is they just all trust each other. Um, if you were in the you know the the central pairing of of Defoe and Cork, you know that behind you you've got two extremely solid centre backs. So you can venture a bit forward. You can take. Uh, more of a risk with your your passing and 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 dribbling. If you if you uh, if you if you are me and Tarkovsky, you know that you've got two excellent uh, central midfielders in front of you who are, are comfortable on the ball. They're not get nervy when they're in possession, and it, just all the way through the team, everyone knows where everyone should be. They know the job that they're doing. And and that's real the, the the difference between this year and last year, especially away from home. There's just there's no sign of nerves. I, I really think Chelsea did there's a biggest favour on the first game of the season because really if if they're if they don't have a couple of completely rash decisions where they get two people sent off, then they they're gonna win that game. But just the confidence we got out of that game has just kept us with, with such great momentum and uh yeah we just lost all those nerves and just playing like we're we're a, a, an extreme extremely professional unit we look like we belong which is really for the the four seasons that we've been in the premier league it's the first time where we're, we've looked like we're really belong here we're not just a a team of championship uh tryhards who are, have overachieved we're we're really just very competently set up. I I agree with with you, Daniel. It's uh, I think the word Dice said it in an interview. Is it automaticity where where you really have that automatic trust and you, everyone is so well drilled and and that really does work wonders for for me as a fan to watch that and you know that everyone knows what they're doing. You know what everyone's individual role is, um, and them as players, it's it's clearly clearly the the, the reason behind success. Some very good points there. It has really become my trademark this season to to play that way. It was our trademark before, but I think we've just become so much better at the actual defending side of it that um, we don't allow those lapses to, to creep into the game anymore and, and cost us. Um, Sam Volk's obviously scored the goal. It's his first since the opening day of the season against Chelsea. I think it's hard to say he looked rusty when he, he took that chance. Can you think of a, a better-headed goal either for the Clarets recently or anywhere, really? We'll start with you, Adam. Um, I, I think Sam Vokes scores a lot of goals from his head, but that was a particular peach of a, a as Daniel said earlier, it's uh, it, the way he sort of manoeuvres the ball um, and, and sort of directs it very deftly. Uh, it's, it's, it really was a joy to watch. Um, as as for any better goal, I can, I'm struggling to remember one for us um, at, uh, off the top of my head. Um, but... 
you, you think of when you think of headers you usually think of the spectacular ones the diving headers and the sort of Robin Van Persie's uh, diving header from from the, the edge of the box sort of that that's the, the sort of thing that comes to mind but um, yeah it was a very different sort of header from Sam it was uh, uh, yeah just really really cute that's the, the word I'd use and uh, Dan yourself what did you uh, think of the headed goal yeah like I was saying it was just uh he he takes what is like really a half chance. It was a really well delivered ball, but he's got a defender right on him, and he has to do everything to to get it in the back of the net. And he just puts it right in the the the, the perfect spot, just out of Forster's reach. Um, Vox is one of the 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 better headers we've had at the club in a, in a long while. Um, I think you'd have to go back to. I don't know. Maybe David Nugent was the last player who we had who was that good at heading the ball um and and i mean I, 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 like i said there's players you know there's your ronaldos and your van persies who are incredible headers of the ball and you know even going back to your cleansmans and stuff who have just scored spectacular goals but uh it, he's just a very useful aerial presence um you know it, it we have in wood and barnes and Boak, you know very three very similar sized lads very similar size builds and about the same for pace, but they all subtly have some different strengths to them. And and, and Vokes has definitely got that in his bag. I think while we're talking about players who have a great heading ability, for me the last uh, the last great header of the ball for Burnley was probably Gareth Taylor. Um, I think that was quite early on when I had a season to kit maybe, and I just remember him scoring a a hell of a lot of goals with his head conceding a hell of a lot of free kicks as well um, almost Barnes-esque but I think a little less uh, headless chicken <laughs> and more just not very good at not making it obvious he's backing into people while we're talking about the goal uh, obviously Sam Sam does really well to head it in but uh, it requires someone to, to deliver it and I thought Goodmanson gave a, a pretty good cross from very deep Um I think since he's been getting chances over the last couple of games, he's looked really good, uh, considering he had a very mixed start to the season. Uh, Adam, do you think there's more to come from him as the season goes on? I think it's I think it's pretty natural to um, expect um, him to come into form um, and 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 really sort of grow into his role. I think I feel like he's he's never really got that momentum going. It's starting to go now, but he, he hasn't really really got that yet. And I think as an attacking player you need that sort of confidence and you need the the, the sort of run in the side and, and things to go for you in order to, to get that. So I think I think it would be reasonable reasonable to expect to to see more from him in the coming weeks. That said he uh yeah I thought he had a, a pretty good game. Um I mean you can't really criticize someone that puts in a, a cross um for for a goal that wins the game essentially like that that's what he's there to do and he and he did his job um so so yeah more to come but not a bad showing yeah i mean he's he's been uh, he's been fantastic since the international break and obviously i think iceland qualifying for the world cup has just given them a massive confidence lift he was he's, you know he's a he's a crucial part of that iceland team uh he scored on the international break so He's really, you know, I think he's come back from that with a with a lot of, uh, with, you know, giving him a lot of confidence for getting a run in the side. I mean, I don't think he's ever been a player that's done too much wrong when he's had a run in the side. He's actually been very unlucky with injuries 
uh, whenever he does seem to have a good run in the side, he always gets like a hamstring or, or something. Um, but I really hope that he, he can he can take this opportunity and hopefully stay fit and uh, and crack on because he's one of the, the better crosses of the ball that we have. Um, uh, I think Brady is... Is, is probably on his day the best cross of the ball we have, but he's streaky. But uh, JBG just puts in a, a cracking ball um, and the the strikers seem to really feel, feed, feed off it. I think on his day could be one of the, the more generous ways of you know, describing Brady's streakiness. <laughs> I think it's more on his five minutes because um, he, he has really been that mix for us so far this season. Um Obviously, it's a, a, another win away from home. As I said earlier on in the podcast, we, we started to say that quite a lot. Um, I think it was predictable we'd get beaten by City last time out. Uh, and probably very few people expected to, to get something out of that. And I think by full time, we were maybe all thinking that it was a, a relief to have minimised, uh, to limited them to just three goals, uh, considering the, the form building up to that. But looking forward now, seeing that we've uh, rebounded straight after that defeat and not let it affect the confidence we've been building up. I think um, all the games building up to Christmas now look pretty winnable with uh, Bournemouth, Leicester and Brighton to come. Um, Dan, how many points would you be happy with out of the nine on offer in the run-up to Christmas? Uh, I think four. I think I think that's completely reasonable. Um, I, re- honest, I re- really think that Daesh uh, sets us up to get a point minimum, I think really that's that's the the ethos is basically keep a clean sheet and you and you've got a point minimum, yeah, and and if you can sneak a goal at the end, then then you're giving yourself a chance to obviously win the game. Um, so I think out of those three games, if we if we just carry on, uh, barring any uh, any nightmares, uh, four points should be uh, totally reasonable. Adam and yourself, what do you think from the uh, three games in the run up to Christmas away from home? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I, I'd sort of add the caveat that it, 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 what we expect sort of depends on on the home form as well. We, we've sort of um, towards the beginning of the season obviously lacked a bit of form at home um, in terms of results. Um, in any case, uh, but but yeah, uh, I'd, I'd agree with with four points. You'd you'd expect home form to to sort of come into its own now, um, and then we can sort of afford to. to to drop points away from home, um, hopefully we can we can sort of stop relying on our away form as much, um, and and yeah, and and really get it going both home and away from home. It, it would be nice to get the the home form up to match what we've been doing away from home as well. Uh, personally, I'd say probably six six points. I'm going to go ambitious. Um, I think uh, when you when you look at those games to come, Bournemouth obviously had the strongest start to the season uh, and. To be honest, we can't really be much worse than we were when we played there last season in what was maybe one of the most underwhelming games I've seen in recent times in Burnley, particularly after I'd cycled all the way there. Um, and Leicester obviously haven't had a particularly great start to the season. I think Brighton will be uh, quite a tough game, though. Um, always a good atmosphere down at the... Is it still called the Amex? It was when I spent, so let's call it the Amex. Um and they've obviously had a reasonably good start to their Premier League career. Um, just talking back to to players now, uh, Nick Pope has 
nine clean sheets out of his 14 appearances so far this season. I think it's safe to say that most Claret fans, when they saw Heaton uh, stay down um, early in the season, can't remember what game it was now, but I think fans were probably pretty concerned, not just for uh, what would happen in the rest of that game, but what would happen for the rest of the season if uh, Heaton was out for a significant length of time. Obviously, it's come to come to be that Heaton has been out for, for quite a length of time, but Nick Pope seems to have really stepped up to the plate and um, for a player that a lot of Burnley fans wouldn't have seen a lot of beforehand he's probably surprised a lot of fans and obviously surprised the media um, Adam did you expect him to be this good? I think to be quite honest it would be unreasonable to for any fan to have expected him to, to come in and, and do as well as he has um, I think He's obviously shown his pedigree uh, before when he was at Charlton, um, but he, uh, but yeah, it's it's very hard for a, a keeper to come in and, and pick up the form, um, especially when they've not really played much um, in in terms of actual game time with with the defence in front of them. Um, I think the worry when when Heaton went down is that Heaton is a, a sort of player that's emblematic of of, of a lot of things, um, a lot of qualities um, about this Burnley Burnley side. Um, you know, he was it was brought in, brought into the club um, after he, obviously he got relegated with Bristol, um, and and yeah, and and he's really grown from there, and he's he's obviously an England international, and he, he's really sort of come to, to sort of represent a lot of the values that this 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 club is about um, at the moment, but. Um, so that was the worry in, in, in losing Heaton. You, you sort of lost. Yes, you lost a great goalkeeper, but you also lost the the, the club captain. You lost um, uh, sort of uh, the, his whole influence on, on the squad. Um, and yet, Pope has come in, and and really, it's been seamless. Like you, you've seen other players. I think particularly Ben Mee has really stepped stepped up to the mark in terms of a bit of captain in the side. Um, and and Pope obviously has just shone. Like anything, like unlike anything else, he's uh, he's he's properly put in the performance, and and he seems delighted about it. He seems to have really fit uh, fitted into in with the the first team regular starters as well. You saw, uh, I know there was like a, a bit of a viral video going around uh, Twitter um, where someone where the 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 small mascot um, Burnley mascot um, was. Uh, on the pit pitch celebrating with players and he, he he was the one that looked most delighted um to, to sort of go and give the, the small kid a, a high five. Um and, and yeah it's really shown how how well he that really shows how, how well he's fitted into the side I think. He he's he's a real star and a, a real actually a real absolute asset for the club um now. Uh and and yeah it'll be It'd be weird once uh, Heaton gets fit again um, to, to to sort of see, see him not not start because he has been that spectacular. Oh, I think you've pretty much answered my next question. Then that I take it you think Heaton would come straight back into the side. Um, yeah, I think I think Dyche's way is proven to be that um, he brings in. Um, he, he, no player loses their place to injury, so you'd, you would expect it. Um, and and because he is such a has been such a major player player for us, uh, Heaton, um, you wouldn't expect him to to sort of um, uh, not not come not re- retake his place once he's fit. That said, you never know because Dice doesn't also, also doesn't like mixing up the def- defense unnecessarily. So if he thinks it's working, then perhaps um, Heaton could be made to work for it. Um, but I, I don't really see that happening, to be honest. I think Heaton's probably earned uh, enough goodwill in his time at the club so far. Um, 
Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I can't remember exactly what you said, but I'm pretty sure you tweeted me during uh, Pope's second game saying that he makes some good saves, but he's technically not very good. Uh, are you still sticking with that opinion? No, I'm, I'm eating crow there. Um, he, I mean, he. it's one of those things where if a, a goalkeeper comes in to sub out an injured goalkeeper, then... Uh, they're very much, you know, you don't have you don't have such high expectations for them, and they can pull off some spectacular saves, and and you, you know they've saved the day. Uh, in his second game, he did look shaky because he, he he probably had too much time to think about the game. Um, you know, it's his first Premier League start. He knows what's expected of him, and he's he's probably just overthought it a bit. Uh, but since then, he's just looked very comfortable. Uh, and he's got all the assets uh, of you know he's all, got all the the makings of a great goalkeeper. His frame is like if you were to design a goalkeeper in a lab, he would have that frame. Um, he's just we've obviously got a very very good uh, goalkeeper coaching setup. Uh, just with the success that we've had in recent years with goalies, uh, yeah, he, he looks like a star. Uh, but yeah. Like you both said, uh, Tom Heaton, uh, club captain, England international. I think when he's back and fully fit, he has to come back in the squad. It's not I don't in in the first team. I don't think that's even a question. Um, but uh, but it, it it does give us the luxury of not having to rush Heaton back. He can take his time with his rehab. He can get his shoulder fully fit. Uh, and we're not worried and we're not panicking and we're not having to to bring anyone else in. Uh, it really does uh, give us a headache then, which is we have an excellent goalkeeper on the bench and a very young, promising one. And it's, you know, when Heaton does come in, how do you keep him happy? He's, he's not going to be happy playing league and FA Cup games for the next two or three seasons with the with the performances that he's had. Um, likewise, Heaton is not on the tail end of his career, so it's not that natural, seamless, out with the old, in with the new thing. You know, we've still got Heaton pretty much in his prime. So it's going to be a real headache. Uh, hopefully we can hold on to him, but uh, it's it's going to be a challenge when Heaton comes back in the team. It's very rare this podcast gives me this opportunity, but I can actually draw a parallel here to my other favourite sport and Pittsburgh Penguins. Because before this year, they had two uh, arguably elite goaltenders, one the greatest of all time and another one the up-and-coming, sort of one for the future. Um, The elder statesman got injured. The young guy took them to a championship. The next year, they sort of split time, but it was always clear that um, the young guy was going to win out, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of develops for Burnley going forward. Because you know, obviously, Heaton's done a lot of great things for the club. Uh, he's a great player, and I, I think he will walk straight back into the side. But obviously, now Nick Pope's shown what he can do. Uh, he's not going to be content to sit on the bench forever. Uh, and I think you know, the situation is going to come to a, a point at some some stage where um, we, we're going to have to let one of the players move on, and it. It won't be a case of uh, we have to let them go because we need to sell them for money or whatever. I think it would be a case of it would be unfair to to hold them back. Um, but hopefully we'd be in the position, I think, to pick and choose who, we, who we'd sell to. 
Um, the the one thing to point out here, I think, is that um, Pope did sign a, a new three year contract um, almost as soon as he started his debut, but that was in the works before he made that that debut, according to the reporting at the time. So you'd imagine he is happy or or happy in inverted commas to to sort of fight it out and 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 he is up for that that battle and he's he's not under any illusions of of becoming the first first team goalkeeper anytime soon but the other thing to mention is that Heaton is a very good goalkeeper and I, I imagine eventually big teams will come in for him um great goalkeepers are, aren't that that common really so you'd imagine if if something were to happen at one of the big sides and they come in for a goalkeeper Tom Heaton is going to be pretty high up that list because he he doesn't he's not he's not got many flaws really he's a he's a a real asset to the club and and we could actually look at be looking at selling him at some point um so so that's another reassurance to having Nick Pope in your squad is that you you've got you've got someone to come in should that happen should we someone come in with a mega offer for Heaton at some point um and I think previously that's been a bit of a worry just like it was a a worry before Nick Pope came in to replace uh Heaton um just just a bit of a worry that there was no succession planning or or no succession planning that we could could be really confident in and now we have that reassurance we have that that confidence in Nick Pope um, to to become a future number one I think that's a very fair point Uh, it's worth mentioning as well at this point that Tom Heaton's obviously 31 so he he has got a few good years you know left in him Um, but we've seen that some elite goalkeepers have dropped off maybe a little bit earlier than you would historically expected I think Petr Cech, most people would say, is well beyond his best years, and he's only 35. Um, so I think, you know, if the top side did come in for Tom, um, you know, if Nick Pope continues playing the way he is, maybe you would think, is this the right time to, to make the move to, you know, be fair to all parties, really, uh, and potentially give, depending on who it is, give Tom a chance to, to go at major silverware. Um, see, Pope's 25, so you'd like to think he's got quite a long career ahead of him. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens and obviously I think a lot of it is linked to our sort of fortunes um, and, and where we, we're going and what our trajectory is um, another positive to come out of the Southampton game was it's Burnley's first win at St Mary's since April 2008 when Coldwell scored in a, a 1-0 win um, Dan do you think it's good to end a run like that it's, it's always a bit uncomfortable going to one of these grounds where you've not had a lot of success recently Um and now we're obviously looking to sort of become Premier League regulars. I think you want to go into every game with a, a good chance of winning, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to break hoodoo like that. I don't think the players think about it. I think the fans do. Because uh, none of the players on that pitch, you know, have uh, think about records like that. Think about, oh, we haven't won at this ground in 30-something years when they've only been in, in the squad for 18 months. Um, but for, for fans, it's a nice... It's a nice treat because they'll have been the diehard traveling away fans who just go to these grounds time after time and just see Burnley lose or, or draw and not get anything out of it. So chuffed for the, the traveling fans, um, obviously. And, it, you know, it, it, it is nice to to go to each of these stadiums and be like, yeah, we can win here. And, and, and I think that, again, goes back to winning at Stamford Bridge on the, on the first on the first day and going to Anfield and picking up points and you're playing in these huge famous arenas and it, it just knocks all the nerves out of you. And it's just another game of football at that point. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd look at it in terms of the context of this season, at least with regard to the the players themselves. Yeah, they'll they'll be looking to go to every ground now and, and take it off the list. Um, I think the other person that would be glad to to um, have won there is Sean Dyche. He's never won there as a manager, which is hardly surprising if we've we've not got much there because most of his his games as a manager have come with us. But it's it's great for him to get that off off his uh, off his back as well. The that's. Uh, yeah, that's another another thing to be to be pleased about. And with that, I think that probably just about rounds out all there really is to say about the uh, the game at St Mary's. Um, next, we're just going to quickly cover something that obviously, unfortunately, we've been covering quite a lot recently, and that is Sean Dyche's future. Um, currently, he's being linked with almost every vacancy that's uh, coming up. Um, firstly, we've asked Natalie, who's obviously away, just to put together a little bit of what she thinks um, about the Sean Dyche situation. And here's Natalie. Hello, Nona Never listeners, and welcome to sunny Florida, where I am this week bringing you my thoughts on the Sean Dyche situation. Um, it's no great surprise that his name's been linked with every single job going at the moment. And to be honest, I think we can probably get ourselves ready for the fact that that's going to happen every single time a managerial vacancy becomes available in the Premier League. Maybe, perhaps, with the exception of the top four, um, who will probably be looking for somebody with a little bit more Champions League experience. Um, how do I feel about it? To be honest, the Everton job was the one job that I was most nervous about because it feels like it's a natural step up for Deitch. Um, they are looking at a top. Well, they are a top seven side, and they are looking to break into that top six. And it's a really, really strong career move for him. I'm really torn because part of me wants Deitch to stay with us. Of course, I do, and see how far we can take this side. But similarly, I also acknowledge the fact that we can't keep hold of him forever. And there's a possibility that Burnley, that he may have taken Burnley as far as he possibly can. The problem that we're facing at the moment is that we just don't know what Burnley's peak is. We don't know whether we're at the start of an incredible journey that's going to see this football club try and break into a UEFA league spot or try and break into a top 10 side and stay in the Premier League for a good number of years or whether or not we're still probably punching above our weight and maybe in a slightly unnatural position in terms of football anyway. I mean, obviously, off the pitch, business-wise, we are in a really good shape. Um, It's really hard to... I guess ascertain what I think Dyke should do objectively because of course we've all we've all got claret tinted glasses on and we all desperately want Sean to stay with us so I've got to look at this without a Burnley fan's head on me because if I looked at it just a Burnley fan all I would say is well no of course he shouldn't take these jobs he should stay with Burnley and see how far he goes so let's pretend that I'm not a Burnley fan let's pretend well, actually no, I can't pretend that that's impossible let's pretend that Sean Dyche is currently the manager of Huddersfield um, and let's say that he's doing really, really well and the Everton job comes up. If I was an outsider looking in, I would have to say that Deitch would be crazy to turn down the Everton job. I've seen a lot of comments at the moment saying, well, why would he go there? They're in a relegation battle. They're not in a relegation battle. They currently occupy the relegation spots, but that's only after a poor start to the season. They will not get relegated, in my opinion. They won't be anywhere near the bottom by the end of the season. It just takes the right fit for somebody to come in and, and, and bring his team around. So the I guess ambitious nature of me in my own career would suggest that I believe and this is correct I I think that Dyke should take the Everton job if it's offered to him Um, 
if he doesn't, if Allardyce gets the Everton job um, and we have to go through this rigmarole again um, every single time um, a managerial appointment comes up, then I think we'd have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. There are some teams that I think he shouldn't go to, um, but I think at the moment, if he's off the, the Everton job, then I'm, I'm sorry, guys, I feel like he has to take it. Anyway, uh, that's my thoughts on the Sean Dyche situation. I will be back with you next week, so please don't miss me too much, and hopefully the boys are doing a very good job of looking after you in my absence. See you next week. Okay, so Dan, um, Dyche has been linked with almost every vacancy that seems to pro- uh, crop up at the moment. Um, if you were him, what would you be, be looking to do? Would you look to stay put, or is there maybe a certain jobs that, that would tempt you to, to leave even at this stage of the season? I've you know I've obviously been thinking a lot about this and uh is he's in a strange position right now because uh if we take out the fact that apparently Allardyce is is in, is leading the running for the Everton job I think Everton is naturally the size of club that he should be at after his time at Burnley but Everton isn't that club right now they they've put, they've assembled a very strange squad They've spent a lot of money to do it. They're in currently in you know the relegation spots. They've got some questions about the ownership, and they're just not the the side that you'd want to take over right now. Um, but a, a club the size of Everton is probably the best that Sean Dyche could hope for at this point in his career, and I think it's the the size of club that that he, he should be at. Because um, I can't see him... You know, if you think about the clubs that are so-called bigger than Everton, they're not the type of club that's going to take take Sean Dyche on. They're, they're the, the ones who are going to look for uh, a manager that has, like, Champions League experience. And obviously, Dyche doesn't have that yet. <laughs> so it, it's... I don't think he should... You know, if offered, I don't think Everton would be the right fit for him at this time. I just don't think that squad on paper is one that Dyche is going to be able to do a lot with without spending a lot again in January. And you know, if you if you cast your mind back to the last time Sean Dyche started a new job, he was very underwhelming. Uh, you know, obviously there were some deficiencies in the Eddie Howe side that he inherited, but. You know, we all ended that season with like, oh, is this the the right guy? Has the board really picked the right guy to take us forward? And he doesn't really have that uh, track record of being able to come straight into a side and making a mark and turn the results around. He, you know, he's got to where he is over five years. Um, and I, I, I just don't know if he is the guy to, to, to rescue a team like Everton at this point. I think there's some very fair points in there. And in fact, I think I said last time we did a podcast uh, the exact same thing about Dyche and his start here. And uh, I think if he had a similar start at Everton, he, he wouldn't get the patience he got from uh, our board. Um, Adam, if you were Dyche, what would, what would you be looking to do? Stay, move if it's the right job? I, I'd pretty much... Um, 
I'd, I'd always say stay for the time being at least. Um, Daesh is not a revolution man. He's not going to change things overnight. That's just not who he is. He's he's a he's a slow burner. He's a he's a really effective manager. But over a p- period of time, as you as you've both mentioned there, um, when he first came in, he didn't turn it around overnight. He, he, it took some time for him to to get things going. And I think that's that's just part of his philosophy. It's not even. Uh, I see a lot of of uh, comments about oh Daesh isn't won't ever play nice football or whatever and and the sort of counter argument to that is that um Dice has just had to deal with what he's got here he's had to deal with limit limited budget and and sort of not um not the players that would be equipped to play tick attack of football for for every 90 minutes of every game um but on the other hand i i i wouldn't see see him changing his whole entire philosophy which is you sort of like improve things slowly you develop the players that you're working with um you, you really like take your time to get to know the group and let the the group like mold together um so for that reason i think stay because you're never going to have that that uh, that revolutionary impact and you're, you're always going to be slightly underwhelming if you don't come in um at the uh at the end of a season the other point is that um Burnley is not a complete project yet. I think we we all mentioned this um, a couple of weeks back. Uh, I think <laughs> I was on a few weeks ago and it seemed like a, the faintest possibility that it'll go. And I, I was like, why are we covering this? And now it's, it's all we ever think about as fans. But uh, it's uh, it, there. Are, there's work still to be done. I think for Daesh, the the challenge now is to to maintain the momentum we've already got this season. He's not a man that will want to to sort of um, jump ship and and uh, and really abandon his project. Um, he might if um, 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 I believe he might if the right offer came came along, but it wouldn't really align with what what he, he's all about. And I think seeing the project through at least to the end of the season is is a much better better way to deal with it and then the third point that i make is uh about pre-season dice is a, a real pre-season manager i think he it all i watched the uh the interview that the club did with him um on his five-year anniversary and he said that the reason that the moment he knew that they'd got a great group to get uh, group together was in the 2013 um pre-season on the on the so-called gaffers day where you, you've got sort of grueling tasks set for the players and they all muck in you can't have that sort of day you can't have that sort of impact when you move mid-season so for me like if I was Daesh and I knew my qualities and I knew my attributes I'd I'd stay for sure I'd just like to add like I have a real problem with the the pundits who are like well Daesh is you know he's he's got Burnley to to where they are and really that's as much as you can hope for for a side like Burnley he's really got them taking them as far as he can and and it's like based on what <laughs> you know there's <laughs> yeah you just said the same when he first came in like you just said when you survival or mid table in the in the championship he's exactly the the, the same situation you're like oh they're only ever going to be that um so yeah I, yeah I the, there's that. just no signs that we have lost any steam that there's no the, the the side hasn't plateaued at any time during his in his five years we have made progress season after season after season and he has got this club from you know the the tea ladies at Gothorp right up to the chairman everyone is on the same page everyone knows what Burnley Football Club is about he's built the entire club in his image it is every single part of the setup is exactly how he wants it and it's a massive project that he's undertaken and I just don't feel like he has 
it has run its course and I don't feel like he feels that it's run its course. I really think that, you know, he's probably identifying who he wants to get in in January and who is, you know, what areas of this side that still need strengthening. And he's always looking for these incremental improvements. And uh, really, you know, if it gets to the end of the season and our performances have, have tailed off a bit and, and he really sort of thinks like, I, I've got this side to, you know, comfortably mid-table in the Premier League. It's full of great players. This team will be fine. I've, I've done my best here uh, and I need to make the step up. Absolutely fine. No one's going to begrudge him that. But right now, while we're flying high in the Premier League, it would it would just feel like such a shame that he didn't see what he could do with this side. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with a lot of that. Personally, I, as I've said before, I'd look at what he uh, did when he first started at Burnley um, and I'd ask, would he get the patience he got at Burnley at somewhere like Everton or somewhere like West Ham? I think the answer is probably no. Um, like Adam said, he's a, a pre-season manager. I think he loves getting the players into the shape he likes them in. He loves drilling them, getting uh, getting the the sort of the system into them early. Um, I don't think he likes to make much change during the season. He just likes to tweak little things and and really stick to the blueprint he's already put down. Uh, and that's not something he'd be able to do if he, he went into a you know another side. Um, there's a couple of other reasons I think he he probably won't want to leave at this point of the season that we're going to come to in my next couple of points. Um, but the last thing I'd say just on on that is. I think he's not the type of manager who'd want to leave a team in the lurch mid-season. I think he's, you know, the type of man he is. I think he'd rather um, see the job job through um, and, you know, get to the end of the season and then maybe if it's time to move on, it's, it's time to move on. But I don't think he'd want, to, he'd want to leave at this point. And personally, if it was me, I think I'd always look back and be like, where could I have got Burnley to? You know, how much could I have done uh, beyond... Uh, what all the pundits expected. Um, speaking of pundits, a lot of pundits, and I've seen quite a few fans say it as well that if he was to turn down a club like Everton, a, a you know a bigger club, um, or West Ham, I think, or maybe less clearly a bigger club, that it would reflect badly on him. Um, but personally, I think that if he was to leave us at this stage of the season, it almost looks like he accepts that he can't uh, continue the good work he's done so far this season, and that realistically he doesn't think he can finish in say the top ten. Um, Dan, what do you think? Do you think it, it's a lack of ambition for him if he turns down a bigger club, or do you think it's more a case of it be sort of an acceptance that he can't maybe do what he started here? I mean, if uh, if for some reason like uh, Liverpool get rid of Klopp and, and Liverpool come in and say Dyche is our man and he turns them down, then maybe, yeah. Um, if, if he's turning down Everton's and West Ham's to stay with Burnley, I don't think that's a a lack of ambition at all. I, I, you know, a lot of it is in the communication and um, he's an excellent communicator. So I can expect him to come out at whatever press conference after that decision and, you know, eloquently put why he's staying at Burnley and, and why he feels that. And I also think it would just have a, you know, if you, if you're those, if you're the, that dressing room and uh, Daesh has turned down, you know, an offer from a big club to stay with you, that's going to give them all the com- you know even more confidence because they know that the their manager believes in in them and that they're onto some, you know onto a good thing so you know if if it was a ridiculous offer from you know one of the the real you know the the top 4 top 5 um 
which I can't even see happening, then maybe. But for for a West Ham or for an Everton, uh, no, I don't think that shows a, a lack of ambition at all. Adam, how about you? Do you think it's a, you know a case of turning down a bigger club would reflect badly on him or? Like I, like Dan's just said, would it depend on the club? Like a, obviously, a Liverpool is a huge club, and maybe it's a bit different if it's them. Yeah, of, of course it does. I, th- I I hate to agree with you guys again, but it's uh, yeah, I I, I do. It's uh, I think that the challenge now is morphing from um, can you keep Burnley in the in the Premier League to all right then how far can you go with this team? How far? Ha- how far can the project go? Can you keep them in, in the Premier League consistently? Can you turn them into a top 10 side? Can you go even higher? Um, really, the, the, the limit on what can happen is, is, is very non-existent, really. You can, you can really dare to dream at this point um, because none of us five years ago when Eddie Howe was sacked would have said we'd be here today um, seventh, is it, in the Premier League? Um, we'd, uh, we'd all have laughed at whoever was saying that and and to follow that ethos through why not why not turn Burnley into a comfortable ten, top 10 Premier League side that's that's the next stage now like we can we can hope for mid-table and then what else can we hope for we can hope that it goes one stage further and it, it really progresses on so um yeah I I, I do a, a agree with you both like it's it's not a lack of ambition to turn those clubs down it's, it's more a statement of intent um to to turn burnley into something great um consistently and and that really is um the legacy that dice talks about that that would be the ultimate legacy is to turn burnley into some some something like that yeah i think very good points there and uh for me it's very much a case of you know if it's a, a man united or a, an arsenal or a liverpool then maybe it it'd be difficult to turn down. But I think if you're talking about just a side like Everton, it, I mean, a very big club, but uh, worth abandoning what he's done so far this season? I, I don't think so. Um, just one last quick thing on Daesh. Um I think something we all realise he likes is a lot of control from the, the club top to bottom. Um, you know, it almost feels like he runs the whole place at, at the turf. Do you think there's many other clubs who'd actually give him that freedom to basically run everything because a lot of clubs now have directors of football and you know everything's micromanaged whereas Dash likes to have his have his fingers in you know all the pies at the club um so what do you think Dan uh I don't think there's really any other Premier League club where he'd get this level of control uh there's even very few championship sides where he would get this level of control and really that's a, a massive credit to our board um that they have they've just given him the keys to the whole thing and let him build the club uh, and backed him. And, I've, you know, there's, you, you look at sides even in the championship, you, you, you lead Uniteds and stuff, and they, they fan you around with all these directors of football. I mean, they're a particularly badly run club. But um, there's, there's just there's no other side where he's, he's going to get that. It, it reminds me of... Uh, uh, Brian Clough in his in his Forest days, where he just everything went through him, and uh, and it, it it works when it works when you've got that right personality when you have that level of respect within the establishment it it just works and I think it would be very hard for him to leave that I think it would be very hard for him to have to answer to all these different masters and to 
to maybe have these higher profile players who were, you know, maybe don't have the respect for him that that his players do. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I think just for right now, Burnley is just still the best place for him. And I and I would say that, but I, I honestly believe that. I think what you just said there actually is reminding me of something that um, I'd forgotten he ever said, to be honest. Uh, and that's the the comparison with Clough. Um, I remember early on uh, when he was becoming successful with Burnley, he was interviewed in one of the papers, and he said that you know one of the things that stuck with him was seeing Clough when he was at Forest and the way he managed the club. Um, so I think it's quite interesting that yeah, that is the you know the type of influence he, he has. And as you said, there's very few teams, even in the Championship now, that that give their managers you know such um, total control of the club. Um, we're almost now moving to that more European style where the, the manager's more of a coach. But Daesh is clearly still very much that that style of manager. And I think it'd be difficult for him to, to be get used to someone else's system. And um, I think particularly we've seen the dangers of the way modern football's going with what's recently happened at Fulham where they had a, an algorithm to decide who was uh, suitable to play for them. And they turned down some... Really good players are turning out to to be playing really well elsewhere, and they're struggling after a good season last year. Um, we'll wrap up the talk of Sean Dash there, and we'll move on to the Swansea game after the international break. Um, Swansea, obviously, are a team who are, are struggling at the start of this season. I think they they look like a team who were going to struggle from last season. Um, so, Adam, what what do you expect to get from this game? Um, are we going to improve our home form against a team that are struggling like Swansea? Yeah, I see it as a it's a real opportunity. To be honest, uh, you wanna you wanna take advantage of the 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 relegation contenders of which we are not a part. Um, which it feels great to say we're not part of that group now. Um, uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd expect a win. Um, I feel like that's not unreasonable now. Um, you, you've got to expect us to start turning the screw at home. Um, and really, uh, I, I don't think we'll score many goals because um, that's not just what we're, that's just not what we're about. Um, but I, I would, I'd expect us to win by maybe one or, or if we're lucky, two goals. Dan, what what do you think? Swansea obviously struggling. It's it's an opportunity, but could we maybe try and score a few more at home than we have done so far this season as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the the record plays this out, but I always feel like Swansea are a bit of a bogey team for us. Um, obviously, there was a disappointing game last season where they beat us at home, and I they all, I they always seem to play pretty well against us, even when they're doing relatively poorly. Uh, so I don't know if the record plays it out, but f- my perception is that they've always been a bit of a bogey team for us. Um, hopefully, there's we can get a bit of energy at home, and I don't know I, I don't know if it is just the efficiency with which we defend and play away, which is now having a uh, a, a negative effect on on the home performance. Um, and the, you know, there was in in the Newcastle game, it Newcastle game felt like a, an away game. Uh, it, it felt like that sort of performance from us. So I don't know. I don't know what is gonna give us a spark. Maybe uh, it looks like Naki Wells might be in in form, uh, in good enough form to come into the first team. Uh, he wasn't in the uh, in the reserves today, um, and he and he got a hat trick for the under twenty threes last week. Maybe uh, he might provide a spark if he comes on for like the te- last ten minutes or something. I don't know. I think there just needs to be 
some some dynamism at home that that's been lacking, and and I don't know where that comes from, but maybe it's Wells. It's interesting you mentioned that the record. I've, I've just quickly looked it up, and uh, there was a big gap uh, before two thousand eight where we didn't play them. But in that time, we've only actually beaten them once, and that was a two one in April twenty eleven. Um, it was actually actually Williams' own goal and a Chris Eagles penalty that day that was good enough for us. Um, and they had Fabio Barini actually score their goal. Um, but there's not been a lot of goals. So I, I feel like suggesting this is where we could maybe stretch uh, ourselves and score more at home might have been uh, a bit ambitious. Uh, the highest scoring game was uh, the, the game at Swansea last season actually where they won 3-2, which I think many people remember was maybe a bit of a bitterly de- uh, disappointing one. Um, but the last couple of games at home to them have been uh, 1-0 to Swansea so hopefully we can turn that around it might be a case that uh, much like playing at St Mary's it's an opportunity for us to, to put another a buggy team to, to bed and uh, you know I'd, I'm sure like you said earlier players probably don't think about it but fans do and uh, it'll mean that it's an easier game for fans going forward um, the last point I'm going to make on the Swansea game is obviously it's another former side for Jack Cook um, Swansea let him go in the summer to us and I thought it was quite strange that they, they were quite content to let him go and after it happened I saw a lot of their fans on Twitter seeming a, a bit pleased that they got so much money for him saying that um, you know he didn't offer anything and didn't think he was good enough but Dan if you were a Swansea fan how disappointed would you be, be seeing the way he's played for us so far this season and obviously there's talks of him uh, getting in the England squad yeah, you'd be fuming if you were them. Uh, it's 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 a weird one with Jack Cork because I've always just felt whenever I've seen him, when he was when he was playing for Southampton, when he was playing for Swansea, he always just looked like the Jack Cork that we that we had uh, at Burnley before, and he's just always been a very comfortable, very solid midfielder. Um, he's never really spectacular. He's never really been in the goals. But he's just a very solid Premier League level midfielder, and I was absolutely chuffed when we got him. Uh, when we got him back, because I just thought that he'd progressed to the level where he was a bit beyond Burnley, uh, and he was, you know, maybe on wages and maybe just on on the level of quality is that we just wouldn't be able to attract him back. Uh, so it's it's just absolutely fantastic that we'd be able to get him back, and his just performances have been fantastic and. Next to Defoe, what a what an excellent pairing! I think this is the first podcast this season that I might not have mentioned Jack Cork and Defoe, uh, and obviously if you're in it, I think they've been absolutely fantastic together. It's it's been sensational seeing the way Defoe's, um, you know, turned himself from a player that the fans loved but Dash didn't seem too keen on into one of the first names on the team sheet. I actually, just as a little aside before I come to Adam on, on Jack Cork, I saw something earlier saying that he'd lost uh, about four kilos in pre-season and he was saying that was a big part of why he's playing playing so well and his, his body fat percentage is now down in the, the seven. So clearly that's a, another sign of the, the dash pre-season fitness that he, he sort of drills into his players. Um, Adam, how would how disappointed would you be as a Swansea fan seeing now that you know the performances Jack Cork's putting in? I mean, I'd be disappointed to see that he's doing well um, because you never want to lose a a player that has clear quality. Um, But on the other hand, if he wasn't performing as expected at 
Swansea, you really have to give credit to the Burnley setup and and to really put him into his side and give him a role that he would really thrive in. I feel like that. And that takes a lot of wisdom and and real now to to sort of buy a a player that is underperforming and put him in a side that um and that will allow him to thrive and we really have allowed him to thrive um and he has thrived himself so um I can see it both ways like I I I remember I've, I've felt a similar way to to Swansea fans have about other players and only to be proven wrong um and once they start performing in in their new side so yeah you can see both sides of it um but I'd I'd I would be disappointed I think um because you never want to lose a player that is uh, is really capable yeah, I think that's fair points. Um, for me, I think Jack Cook's always been maybe a little bit of an underrated player. Uh, he's not always the most noticeable. I think a lot of the stuff he does is the small things and it's the stuff that really makes the team successful. And um, I was very pleased when we signed him and I think I'm maybe even more pleased. I think he's even ex- exceeded the expectations that um, you know I'd sort of had in my mind when, when we signed him because he's become a a bit more of a complete player, I think, since he was last with us. Um, I think that's about all we've got time for talking about talking about the football. Um, just a quick thing before we say goodbye, um, because we've not got a podcast next week due to the international break. I just want to put out there that we're going to be running a competition soon on social media with uh, Savile Rogue, who we've worked with before, um, giving you the opportunity to win a scarf. And we'll have a 10% discount code uh, for all of our listeners uh, in the run up to Christmas. Uh, they do some really nice quality stuff, so uh, it might be the perfect stocking filler for a uh, a father or a grandfather um as i said that's all we've got time for this week so i'd like to thank dan for for joining us from uh from america and adam for joining us um and hopefully we'll speak to you all soon goodbye this time last year it goes into the roof of the net which is very nice to see after it's happened but my nerves at the time might have just appreciated a soft side foot into the net that's classic Barnes, though, isn't it? How many how many goals does he score like that? Oh. He just likes to do it to you. It was very reminiscent to the Wigan goal, wasn't it? That was the old promotion, the way it came in and Barnes slammed in. I was about to say it's after the same, Jamie. It's, it was such an Ashley Barnes goal. Even the even the, you know the, the ball breaking down the right, the crossing from the right, uh, and then smashed it. And what a what a, it was a typical Ashley Barnes celebration as well. Like it looks like about to deck someone. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it always looks. It, I'd love to see. I'd love to see Ashley Barnes score a goal. Ashley look happy. <laughs> he just looks angry after every goal, but it was he can uh, look also however just, he wants. When he scores a goal, I don't care. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.